Welcome everyone. My name is Farah and I'm so happy to be able to share my new podcast with you all. I'm equally as happy to introduce my first guest, Georgia Vine. Georgia is a second year occupational therapy student about to go into her third year this September at Sheffield Hallam University. Georgia is the founder of the Not So Terrible Palsy website as well as being the ambassador for the Cerebral Palsy Teens UK charity. So a little bit about the charity. Their main aims are the promotion of social inclusion among young people with physical disabilities who are socially excluded from society or parts of society as a result of their disability. Georgia is also the Digital Production Director and Global Student Ambassador for Occupational Therapists Without Borders. This is all before qualifying. What initially caught my attention about Georgia was the fact that she actually managed to complete her entire occupational therapy placement virtually for her second year in what was self-titled Virtual OT Placement. So that's where I plan to kick off this talk today, as I know it's a bit of a hot topic amongst a lot of students across the UK. Some have been able to go on placement, others haven't. So yeah, it's going to hopefully offer, I feel, an alternative solution for a bit of a situation at the moment. So I hope you enjoy listening and welcome again to the podcast. Hello Georgia, welcome to my brand new podcast today, OT, What's Your Focus? Um, It's so nice to have you on today. Um, How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. How are you? I'm okay. I have to say I'm a bit nervous, but yeah, hopefully I'll hold it together. (laughs) So I've got some questions for you today. Is it okay if we jump straight into those? Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so my first question for you today is uh, basically talking to you about your virtual placement. I've seen you've had so much interest about this already on social media. Um, I've seen you on Twitter, on Instagram, and I've really followed your concept with so much interest. Uh, I myself should have gone on placement uh, this well, spring just gone, but obviously due to COVID-19, I wasn't actually able to go. Um, So would you be able to explain a little more about how this virtual placement actually came about for you? Yeah, um, so it came about because um, I'm involved in a lot of online communities. So I just wanted to make the online community more known in the world. yeah, and trying to find Here we go. My virtual placement has been inspired by the online disabled community. The online community is so important to me and other disabled people, and therefore I wanted to focus on this. If the online community is so significant, then occupational therapy should play a role in it too. Yeah. That's exactly what I feel. I just feel like there's a real niche here that maybe hasn't been quite tapped into yet. So I can really admire what you've done, basically. And obviously, you did complete a traditional first year placement, I believe, did you? 
Yeah, I completed the first person in pediatrics and then the second person in technology and then I did my third person in my role and then I got another digital person next year. Oh, okay. So you are going to be returning back because I was going to say, are you going to be continuing this virtual placement, but you're going to do a traditional placement for your third year? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So you've actually got Margaret Spencer with you today, who is a lecturer at your university. Um, hello, Margaret. Hi. Uh, I just wondered if you might be able to kind of um, say a little bit from your perspective, um, how this sort of come about, how you've supported Georgia and where you kind of see this whole project going, really. Um, well, we, Georgia and I met on the um, paediatric placement and um, obviously we got talking because I'm the module tutor, not on the undergraduate course because I don't work on the undergraduate course, but we were talking about the Royal Emerging Placement for the following year because things do take a, a while to um, set up and I was in the middle of setting up for the uh, master's students. And, um, and so Georgia and I had a chat and obviously she's interested in uh, online communities and we thought, oh, this possibly could be a potential placement. We didn't really know. This is before the whole COVID thing. Um, and then we met at the university once Georgia's placement had finished we met at the university in kind of uh, this this time a, a year ago and we just kind of decided how we were going to make it it's very organic I'll say I'm very organic and uh, Georgia's very organized <laughs> and uh, we just had a, a kind of rough idea how it would work and what we would do and we First of all, we just had the idea, and then when we got to September, October, we started to drill down in how George could give evidence of the competence, because you know, clearly we have exactly the same competence as we do for all the placements, and they have to be passed. Um, so we were, we were trying to look at how virtual placement would evidence all the things that are in um, all of the assessment booklets that we all have at all the universities. Oh, okay, great. So do you know, like, to the best of your knowledge, has this been done previously? Do you know that or are you unsure? I don't know that anybody else has done a, a virtual placement before we did. Oh, okay, great. And did you have to um, sort of reach out to the RCOT for any guidance or you were just literally quite confident going through, because like you said, Georgia being organised, you felt she was capable to successfully achieve those competencies with your guidance? Yeah, well, I've been on the placement team for like 30 years and I kind of set up the, I was kind of instrumental in developing the assessment booklet. So I felt I was really okay with it. And I've been doing the Royal Emerging Placements for over 10 years. And of course, I supervise people who um, all work in different ways across the country and across the world. And we looked at the World Federation guidelines and then RCOT guidelines and the HCPC guidelines and our own university. because obviously it's a tripartite accreditation. Um, and we took all those. We didn't just kind of thought it was just it wasn't just a kind of whim we had on our on our own. We obviously embedded it in all the guidelines that are already available. There's quite a lot from Wolfert. There's quite a lot from RCOT, and there's quite a lot from um, the HCPC. So it kind of, it sounds to me like it was a complete like a total alignment nearly. But obviously you met via the placement and it was kind of like a bit of a meant to be scenario do you feel that way georgia yeah yeah definitely i mean margaret didn't ask me what i wanted to do in the pediatry it wouldn't even come about and no i got a bargain i can't i can't see where that goes in the pediatry and 
and I'm going to do the Powerball Pride Reader, Honey Demo and that Demo Cat and not happened, and then I got on a bit of the Sinatra, then I did, but it didn't ever come about. I know, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. I am absolutely so impressed. And I just know that there are going to be so many people that are just so interested in this. I mean, I'm really championing this podcast via my university and it's obviously going to be going live at the weekend and I've already had so many messages and so much interest about you being my guest so you're really out there and you're really popular so I just wanted to know that I think you're great and we're at the exact same stage of our training which is really interesting because I'm about to go into my third year in September as well so for your second place, uh, second question, sorry, did you feel that you got an equal experience as if you were on a traditional placement? And what I mean by that isn't so much as in, you know, the physical face-to-face -face contact, but do you feel you got as much out of a virtual experience as you would have done a traditional one? Okay. Well, a real emerging placement is very different to a traditional placement but i feel like i still got an equal experience and if anything this is the placement i've got the most out of as i've been really independent i'm just hoping that i take this confidence with me to my next placement i do feel like if i was to do this more traditionally and have a client group and a caseload, then it would be possible to have Zoom calls with clients individually or as a group. I could also create online groups so people could connect a private community. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. So yeah, I, I've been um, considering what you've been doing quite a lot myself and thinking, I know that in America, obviously, they have telehealth. And obviously, in Australia, they have uh, a lot more kind of virtual based assessments. And especially even here in the UK with COVID, it's been so much more virtual and things happening online a lot more. So I really think that's why I think I'm referring to you as a trailblazer, really, because I just really feel like you are one. And it's, it's just superb. Um, so sort of linking into the fact of you actually having done your placement and gaining, if I think from what you've just said, you've gained experience, whether or not it's equal, it's kind of irrelevant in a way, it's a different form of experience. So for my third question, I wanted to know, how did you actually manage, and um, maybe you can jump in here a bit as well, Margaret, to match up your virtual work to the relevant competencies that allowed you to pass your placement i mean did you have to in a way not necessarily rewrite anything but did you have to tick them off in the same format that you would have done with a traditional placement or did you have to create a new format or a new template or you know anything like that how did it work with matching to competencies um well, it would not, it would, for the first week of doing the placement, it would more like any other placement. I would sit at home going through the book, creating smart target, um, sending them over to Margaret, and then I'd, I would do all my TV reading and I would still making a plan about what we're going to do it, which a bit different because 
with the pod and everything that happened, it did happen fast. So the only thing was different rather than we didn't really know what we were going to do for the 12 weeks. It was a bit week by week because of how it happened and then COVID as well. But we still took the same approach as any other person. And I'm glad that we did because one, it's more right, more right, it's done in the same approach. And two, it gave us the challenge of doing it as a and as an ordinary person. No, I see what you mean. And like as well, when Margaret was saying earlier about it actually being quite organic, I think that's kind of added to the charm of it in a sense by means of, you know, it hasn't been a pre kind of preset, very rigid format of you, we must do this and then that must lead to that and that must fall into that. You know, that kind of having it more sort of free flowing. Do you think that's sort of added to it, Margaret? Um, yeah, I mean, the role of emerging patients are like that anyway. So you go to a charity or, um, you know, some kind of uh, organisation possibly and you do scope the service and you do find out and you don't really know until halfway how the placement is going to be and where occupational therapy is going to fit in. And, and so it kind of fits in with that, you know, more role emerging placement. But I also think, I mean, we didn't touch the assessment booklet and we didn't know how it would be, but the first couple of weeks were, as it would be in any role emerging patients, is scoping. And I think, you know, through the kind of, you know, through the, the history of OT, people have scoped lots of different areas of practice where we've never worked before. Substance misuse, eating disorders, um, you know, lots of different areas that, you know, OTs were never traditionally in. You know, paediatrics, you know, that's not where we started. So... It's only, it's just another form of kind of scoping where OTs can work. You know, GP practices, we've only just started working in GP practice. The same format as Georgia and I have used for this placement is, you know, I'm supervising people in GP practices. That's what we're working out where the role can be. And then for a lot of OTs now, since, the, I mean, we started this placement before COVID and then it kind of happened. But for a lot of OTs that I supervise, this is exactly what we're doing in practice is we're scoping, right? We used to do that. We used to have face to face, we used to have groups. How are we going to redo how we assess people, create interventions, have a, a, a kind of pathway through our service when we can't see people virtually or we have to see people in a different way? So I think we did exactly the same as everyone's having to do so. In terms of like Georgia's skills and development, they are incredibly useful skills, problem solving, um, thinking, thinking through things, thinking from a client's perspective, you know, engaging with people. You know, we did, you know, talking about tele, telehealthcare, we did talk to uh, an OT in, um, in Vancouver Island and we had a, a Saturday morning breakfast meeting with her and she got in contact with us via Twitter and said, you know, I'm really interested to hear about it. This is what I'm doing. We've made a lot of connections across the world, really, with lots of different people. It's so, it's so impressive. It really is. Do you feel like this is going to be something that the university kind of picks up and will continue with? Or is this like your first and only kind of go at it? What do you think? Well, I think you heard it. We got a disabled person putting that cap on and doesn't matter to you cap. Um, you obviously, you know, I've got anxiety and it doesn't sound more tiring to get up, get ready, drive for an hour to the appointment, have the appointment and come back. That is more tiring than the appointment itself. So I think it 
it could be an identity on the day where people haven't got much energy or I got a nineteen, don't want to read the house. I just think it did. I'm not doing great space to play, but I think it would be nice to give people the opportunity to work back with their needs as well. Yeah, definitely. And it, it is like you said, it can be such an effort at times for people. And, you know, the appointments aren't always close or local. So it can really be, you know, a lifeline for some people in the sense of, and also I think possibly as well on the uptake, you know, with the concept of pushing OT out there a little bit more and, you know, basically advocating for our profession, it could increase kind of contact times with people and, you know, reach more. So I'm, I, I can see it working 100%. So for the fourth question I've got for you today, um, as with everyone, we've all been affected by COVID-19. I was wondering, what will university look like for you in September? Will you be expecting to return for face-to-face -face lectures? Will there be content online only? Or is it going to be a mixture of both for you? There is going to be a mixture of online and face-to-face -face teaching. However, I know that they are looking at individual cases and I'm a bit more vulnerable. So we'll just see what my individual plan will look like. And that makes sense. I mean, I think everyone's so different at the moment, aren't they? Their circumstances are so unique. So. You know, I, I think really we're all kind of flying by the seat of our pants, aren't we? So we have to see how it turns out for everybody. Um, I do follow your blog with so much interest and I love reading it. Um, and you spoke on one of your virtual placement blogs about scoping out and laying the foundations for future students, which is obviously what we've just been speaking about, um, to allow others to complete their placements potentially virtually too. Uh, I can absolutely see the benefit of this concept and I know that the Royal College of Occupational Therapists in March released a statement emphasising the use of simulated practice-based learning. Do you see the concept of a virtual placement becoming a nationwide format for students? I mean, you've, you've done it so successfully. Do you feel like it can be done by others too? Yes. I certainly see it becoming nationwide, especially at this moment in time, as if someone is shielding, then it's the only way that they can complete a placement. Not only this, we are a client-centered profession and people who have chronic fatigue and anxiety may find the virtual appointments easier with their needs as you have got the exhaustion of getting up, getting ready, and getting to the appointment which at times takes up more energy than the appointment itself. Therefore, to remain client-centered we need to be looking at what's best for the clients. Yeah. Uh, as always, you know, we, I think we need to centre everything around that, don't we? So that's that's a really fair point in mentioning about, you know, looking at the person's uniqueness to them. And, you know, for some people, they may want that face-to-face -face contact. For others, actually, virtual is much, much more convenient. So 
I was just wondering, Margaret, if I can kind of extend on that, that question a bit and reach out to you for an answer is, what do you feel would kind of be necessary from a kind of institutions or, you know, universities perspective to support students to complete a virtual placement? Is there anything special that needs to be put in place or anything special to be involved to be able to achieve and do that? Um, I think uh, obviously a lot more planning because, you know, when you go to, I don't know, you're going to orthopedics, you just appear at the ward and it's all kind of laid out before you. I think you need um, an educator who's prepared to be flexible and maybe put in a bit more time um, because the student's on their own and, you know, thinking about safety and boundaries, you've got to be fairly accessible in a way that you might not normally be on a, on a traditional placement. I think you've got to be thinking outside the box yourselves. Like when we talked to Anna in um, Vancouver Island, you had to do it on a Saturday morning because of the time difference and, you know, she was doing tele telecare on different times. So I think there's planning, a lot more planning beforehand, a lot more thinking about who you're going to work with and how you're going to work. And then once you're on the placement, um, quite a lot of contact. I would say, if not daily, most days, there was a kind of an email went backwards and forwards between us. Have you thought about this? This has happened, da 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 da. So, although you, you know, you might be with your educator in a, in a, I don't know, on a mental health unit or in an orthopedic placement, you're doing it, but in a different way. Your contact contact is Zoom once a week and it's, you know, via email and being a bit more flexible and being able to be available to answer pretty quickly really because you're doing it virtually things can turn on a sixpence yeah i mean my mobile online community is now very active on social media therefore do we think that it even come up every weekend on exactly your Sunday and i'll be in my mother on exactly morning again i know exactly morning but we kind of need to like nip this in the bottle and then yeah so you, you really need someone who's just going to be happy and willing to put in that time to support you i suppose yeah and, and not everybody is to be fair and not everybody's got that level of flexibility and i think that is a challenge for the universities because of their work planning and all the rest of it um so that is a challenge from an educator's point of view but if somebody's kind of ready and willing and able to do it, 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 it you know, it, it's, it was a joy to do. I think we both got loads out of it. We both learned so much. You know, we'd never even been on Zoom before uh, we started this. And we've done loads of presentations and webinars and uploaded it to YouTube. And we've learned so much, I think, from doing it. Both of us have, have learned so much, I think. And we've got really together as a team. We're a good team. It sounds like it. You're like a powerhouse. <laughs> so I've got my um, second to last question for you, Georgia. Um, it's in relation to your blog. Uh, it's quite specific, so I hope you didn't mind that. But it was basically the blog that you titled The Online Borders Between Being a Professional and a Disabled Activist. Obviously, you do have cerebral palsy. So being a, a disabled activist is really important to you. And it really stood out as a heartfelt piece to me. Um, within it, you mentioned how much you enjoy being a disabled activist, but the line between this and being an occupational therapist can become blurred. Um, therefore, I was wondering, what does it, what does being an OT student mean to you, and what does being a disabled activist mean to you? Being an OT student means a lot to me because at one point I didn't think that I'd be physically capable to do it. 
So, the fact that I am, and heading into my third year is something that I'm very pleased with. Being an OT student has made me realize how much I love the profession and the fact that I get to wake up and do this is incredible. Yeah. And then you need to do it up to I believe that I was born with cerebral palsy for a reason and now I finally found that reason which is being a disabled activist and I'm so glad that I can use my disability as a strength to do so. As without it, I wouldn't have had all these great opportunities. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So I think, you know, it's obvious how much you love OT and what you're doing. And it's actually a really nice kind of blend, I feel, being a disabled activist and being an OT student and eventually a qualified OT. So, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where you're going to end up. I'm sure you probably are as well. And I'm just really, I'm really excited to um, follow your story. Thank so, you. The final question I've got, and this is one that I'm going to kind of carry through to all of my interviews. What I'm hoping to um, basically do is create like a little bit of an online resource for people via my Instagram account. Um, so the, the final question is, would you be able to recommend either a book, film, article, website or other media to those that are listening that you feel is currently worth knowing about or catching up on? currently reading a lot about disabled OT students and an article that I always refer back to is Rushton, 2018. Exploring the lived experience of being an occupational therapy student with additional support requirements. It's a really interesting read and it's helpful to know what your eyes are as a disabled OT student yeah oh fantastic i'll definitely be adding a link to that onto my instagram account um georgia does actually have her own website which is not so terrible palsy so you need to check that out because it is it really is just amazing and i really enjoy reading all of the blogs following the journey i particularly like the wheelchair adventure piece that really did make me smile on your site so yeah i really enjoyed that um, i'm going to post all of the links and details about you onto um, the end of this podcast and also onto my instagram so you can follow that as well but I've just really enjoyed talking to you both today. And thank you so much for, you know, taking out your time from your day to talk to me. I'm hoping that we can, you know, reach lots of people and maybe give some hope to some of the OT students who haven't been able to complete their placement this year. I know there's quite a few out there and they're, you know, they're feeling quite stressed and a bit anxious. So I'm, I really think this is going to offer some opportunities in an area that is kind of um, not used yet. So yeah, thank you so much, Margaret. And thank you so much, Georgia. And I would definitely be keeping in touch. You're welcome. Nice to meet you. And if you need any further information, don't hesitate to kind of email email both of us and we can try and help them the best way we can. complete treat being able to speak to Georgia and Margaret today. Um, what I really liked about this concept is that at a time when occupational therapy students are having to be more diverse and adaptable than ever before, 
a truly flexible, far-reaching option such as Georgia's virtual placement would allow such an increase in access for all people that are involved. The benefit of not needing to physically attend a set clinic or appointment or session could benefit so many people. This could include the parents, those working alongside studying, there's plenty of those, carers, volunteers, even being able to fit it in with activities such as at, at the moment having to homeschool, clubs, classes, hobbies. All these elements can be factored in and suited around everyone that's involved in the OT process. So by offering this much more adaptable way of working, the idea of the virtual placement possibly becoming a reality across the sector is truly exciting and it's a sure sign that occupational therapy as a profession is actually evolving and adapting like we have in so many areas in the past to what is at the moment an ever-changing environment. So do make sure you go and check Georgia's site out which is notsoterriblepalsy.com uh, you can follow me on Instagram at OT underscore what's your focus and do subscribe to this podcast because you will get regular updates on the new episodes coming up. Take care. Speak to you soon.